Amen. Well, we will go ahead and dismiss the kids this morning to Kids Church. You know, there's a wonderful truth in that. When we focus on our life, when we focus on the hardships, the difficulty, the trials, they seem to consume us, they seem to overwhelm us. But when we focus on the grandeur of our God, when we focus on His greatness, on His glory, the things of this earth seem to fade away. So it's our prayer this morning that you would indeed see Jesus as He is, high and lifted up as the King upon His throne. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 19. <clears throat> the King is coming home. The King is returning. Uh, if you remember in our narrative, uh, last week uh, we looked at David uh, and as he, as he fled Jerusalem, Absalom uh, sent his army after uh, David to destroy him, uh, and Absalom himself ends up getting killed by the army of David. And so we see the king, after the threat has been removed, the king is coming home. Uh, and so as with last week, this is a pretty lengthy text. And so we're going to read just a few sections out of it, but I want to encourage you to read all of chapter 19 uh, as after you go home so that, so that you can put it all together uh, as we look at this text this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 19, we're going to begin reading in verse 8. So the king arose and sat in the gate. When they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, then all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled each to his own tent, and all the people were quarreling throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hands of the Philistines, but now he has fled out from the land from Absalom. However, Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? Skip to verse 16. Then Shammai, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with him, with the men of Judah, to meet the king David. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, with Ziba, the servant of the household of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him. And they rushed to the Jordan before the king. And they kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and to do what was good in, the, in his sight. And Shammai, the son of Gerah, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So he said to the king, Let not my lord consider me guilty, nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my lord the king came out from Jerusalem so that the king should take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I come today, first of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. Skip down to verse 24. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until he came home in peace. And it was that when the king came from Jerusalem... To, I'm sorry, that when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, O Lord, my king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king 
is like an angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. For all of my father's household was nothing but dead men before my Lord the King. Yet you said your servant among those who ate at your own table, What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. Verse 31. Now Barzillai, the Gileadite, and he went on to the Jordan with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Now Barzillai was very old, being 80 years old, and he had sustained the king while he stayed in Mahanam, for he was a great man. Skip down to verse 37. Barzillai responds to the servant, to King David, Please let your servant return, that I may die in my city near the grave of my father and my mother. However, here is your servant, Kimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king and do for him what is good in your sight. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are faithful. You are faithful to maintain your kingdom. You are faithful to sustain your servants. You are faithful to keep your word. God, as we look at this narrative, may we make application for our own lives according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't get bogged down in the text. You're reading this and you're thinking, I can't even pronounce these names. I don't know who these people are. I I, I don't even remember what went on last week. Don't get bogged down in the text. I'm going to unpack it for you. I'm going to explain it to you. But I want us to see the overarching theme for this whole text begins in chapter 19, verse 8. When David returns to the kingdom, what are they doing? It says right there in verse 8. It says they are doing what? When the king arose and sat down, the people came before him. and all, I'm sorry, verse 9. And all the people were quarreling throughout all the tribes of Israel. So David comes home and what are the people doing? They're quarreling, they're fighting, they're arguing. It's like a parent who comes home from vacation thinking, I can't wait to get home to my kids. I can't wait to to see my lovely children. And you walk in and what do you see? Immediately they're arguing and they're fighting and you think, I came home for this. You think, I missed them so much. And, 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 And you walk in and as soon as you walk in and what are they doing? They're fighting. And you're like, I'm leaving. I'm turning around and I'm, I'm going home. This, this, past, uh, this past summer, uh, we had a wonderful time. Uh, my wife and I got to drop our kids off at camp. We were kidless for a week. And we were, we were, not only were we kidless for a week, but we were guiltless kidless. Because, you know, you know when, you, when you drop your kids off at your mom's or your mother-in-law's, there's that, there's that sense of, you know, somebody else is burdened with making sure my kids are bathed and making sure they're fed and making sure they, they're, they're taken care of. But when you drop them off at camp, that's somebody else's problem. That's not, that's not mom's problem. That's not grandma's problem. That's not a babysitter. You have dropped them off at camp. You know they're having fun. You know they're, doing, they're, they're having a ball. They're probably having more fun than you are. And so, so you are guiltless as you are kidless. And, and so, so we get back and we're, we're, you know, we go to pick up our kids and we, we are missing our kids and, and we pick them up and about 30 minutes in the car, 
And we look at one another and we say, we say, you know, I'm good. We can go drop them off somebody else's house as soon as we get home because, because I, am, I, I, miss, I miss being gone. We missed our kids, but as soon as we got them, we're like, really? This is what we're coming home to? That's the sense that you get here. David comes home, and as soon as he gets home, what are the people doing? They're griping and arguing and fighting and fussing. And, and David's like, really? You know, we have, we have just defeated this, this revolution. We've just defeated this coup. We have, Absalom is dead. I, I'm having to grieve the loss of my own son who sought to overthrow the kingdom. And I come home and I don't even have a loyal, a loyal people to come home to. But I want us to understand what's behind this text. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of David, is God's covenant kingdom. Now, keep in mind, we are only 30-some-odd years into the reign of David's kingship. There's already been coup, revolution, scandal, incest, murder. All of that has taken place in in the infancy of the kingdom of David. And yet, the kingdom of David stands. This ought to tell us, this ought to to demonstrate the principle behind all of this. And that principle is, is that God has established this kingdom. And because God has established this kingdom, it will stand through the scandal, through the incest, through the revolution, through the murder. Because God has established it. That is the same as the church of God. If you look back over the history of the church, there is no logical, rational reason why the church of God should still be standing. It makes no sense. The church of God started out with 120 people in an upper room who who were fleeing and hiding for their life. It was established by God. In the first couple hundred years, the, in, the most powerful entity in all the most powerful civilization, arguably in the history of the world, the Roman civilization, made it its, in, its ambition to destroy the church through Domitian and Diocletian and Trajan and emperor after emperor after emperor. They made it a point to seek out and destroy the church of God, yet the church of God remains. Through the dark ages, Satan tried to destroy the church, not through political reigns, or not through political means, but he sought to destroy the church from within through corruption and immorality and ambition. And yet the church of God remains. Through the Renaissance, through the Middle Ages, as we come into as we come into the modern age, we see the church still suffering scandal. <clears throat> and Catholic priest after bishop after Protestant televangelist engaged in immorality and homosexual and pedophilia. There's no logical, rational reason why the church should stand. 
yet it does. Why? Because the church is God's ordained institution. The church is the bride of Christ. God has ordained it, God has established it, and God will keep it. Ephesians chapter 5 reminds us of this. As Paul is encouraging the husband to love his wife, he writes this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ has loved the church. In verse 25, he says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present himself to himself, the church, in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. The church is the bride of Christ. And despite the effort of the enemy, despite the, the, the effort of of the Roman Empire and the Middle Ages and the scandal and the corruption and the immorality amongst its leadership and the splintering and the denominationalism and the territorialism that that plagues the church. The church is the bride of Christ and God will establish His church. In a similar fashion, the kingdom of David is God's kingdom and God will establish and keep His kingdom. David comes home and he finds the kingdom splintered, quarreling, fighting. And I want to point out to you, we see three people that show up when David comes back. David is about to cross the Jordan River to enter into into Israel. He is about to, to reclaim his throne. And David is approached by three people. And I'm going to remind you of who these three people are. And then we're going to look at David's interaction with these three people. So the first person that David comes in contact with is the man by the name of Shammai. Everybody remembers who Shammai was, right? And everybody said, yeah, sure we do, preacher. Well, let me go remind you. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5 through 8. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5 through 8. This is going to remind you of who Shammai is. And, and, and even if it doesn't, I'm going to tell you so you'll say, oh, okay, sure, sure, we remember that. Whenever David is fleeing, whenever Absalom has convinced all of Israel that he is God's chosen person, that, 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 that David is a has-been and that Absalom is the new king, the new, the new one in control, David flees from Jerusalem, and on his way out, he is accosted by a man named Shammai. Verse 5, when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out from there a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. And he came out cursing continually as David came. He threw stones at David, and all the servants of the kingdom of David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. And thus Shammai said, when he cursed, he said, get out. Get out, you man of bloodshed, and you worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all of the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given his kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you a man of bloodshed. So now we remember who Shammai is, right? Shammai was leaving. I'm sorry, David was leaving, and Shammai said, You're a bum. You're a man of bloodshed because what you have done to the house of Saul, because of the sin in your own life, you deserve what you get, good riddance. That's who Shammai was. Well, Shammai had hitched his wagons to Absalom. It's interesting, whenever David comes back, his tune has changed. 
We'll get to that in just a little bit. That's the first guy that David comes in contact with. The second guy that David comes in contact with is Mephibosheth. And we all remember who Mephibosheth is, right? Mephibosheth. It doesn't matter how many times you practice saying it. You say Mephibosheth enough, you're going to mess it up. Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul. This is Jonathan's son. This is, this is David's best friend's son. Mephibosheth is lame, remember? Mephibosheth literally means the object of shame, person of shame. Mephibosheth had all of his father's household taken from him by this Ziba. And whenever David renews his covenant that he made with Jonathan, he he reestablishes for Mephibosheth all of his household. Mephibosheth was lied about, was slandered. Remember Ziba showed up as David was fleeing and said, Mephibosheth is staying in Jerusalem and he wants to to reclaim the authority of his family. He wants to reclaim the house of Saul. He wants to, to, he has, he has, he's forgotten about you, David. He is seeking his own. And David said, well, if what you're telling me is true, then I'm going to strip him of all that he has and I'm going to give all that he has to you. And Ziba said, finally, I'm getting what's coming to me. Well, David enters and he comes in contact with Mephibosheth and he sees Mephibosheth completely disheveled. He hasn't cut his hair. He hasn't trimmed his toenails. He hasn't cleaned himself. He hasn't bathed. He hasn't hasn't washed his clothes. The whole time David was gone as a sign of mourning and grief and sadness for what has taken place with David. And David said, Mephibosheth, why didn't you come with me? And he looked at David and he said, I tried. I couldn't. Ziba lied. He deceived me. He slandered my name. All I could do was to demonstrate my mourning and my grief and my sadness and my faithfulness to you by, by putting on sackcloth and ashes and, and, and not, ke- not keeping up with my appearance and showing my outward appearance of, that, of the inward grief and the mourning that was taking place on the inside. I wanted to come, but I couldn't. That's the second person David comes in contact with. The third person that David comes in contact with is a man by the name of Barzillai. Barzillai is a pagan. He is a Gideonite. I'm sorry, a Gibeonite. And he is the one whom whenever David fled from Absalom, Barzillai showed up with all kinds of provisions. He showed up with grain and cakes and oxen and sheep and milk and cheese And he cared for David. He provided for David. David shows up and he says, Barzillai, come with me. Come with me back to Jerusalem. Because of your goodness and your faithfulness to me, I will establish you and I will set you up and you will never have to want for anything else in your life. And Barzillai says, David, I'm good. He says, I'm old. I'm 80 years old. Just let me go home. Let me tend my house. Let me die. But do this. Take my son. Take him with you. Show him the favor that you would have shown me. Because of my faithfulness, I want my son to be blessed. 
Those are the three people that we are introduced to. And those are the three people that come in contact with David as David is returning as king. And I want us to see, because I think that there's an application and there's a biblical principle with all three of these persons. The first one I want to look at is Shammai. Remember who Shammai is, right? Shammai is the guy who cursed David as he left. Shammai is the, the, the fair weather fan. Shammai is the, as long as David is in charge, I'm, I'm, I'm on David's team. But as soon as Absalom's in charge, I'm on Absalom's team. Oh, Absalom got beat. I'm back on David's team. This is Shammai. This is Shammai. So I want us to see that his response in 2 Samuel chapter 19. Look at verse 16. Then Shammai, the son of Gerah, the Benjaminite, who was from Behurim, hurried and he came down to the men, of Jerusalem, uh, the men of Judah to meet King David. And he brought with him a thousand Benjaminites. So he, not only did he return to David saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up, but he brought with David a contingency. He brought to David a thousand of his own people and a thousand of his own Benjaminites. And he said, we are here with you, David. I know I cursed you whenever you left town. I know that I hooked my wagon to to Absalom. But you know what? Absalom is dead. My God, my king, whom I have followed, has failed. And so now I'm here to follow you, King David. I am here to hitch my wagon. I am here to seek favor from you. And I believe that his response to David is token submission. It is a pragmatic and a self-serving submission. His response to me is akin to those of us who are sitting here this morning who are here because our wife wanted us to be here. There are those of us who are sitting here because you know what? It's easier for me to go to church and placate my wife and placate my family. It just makes life easier at home. Shammai was the one that says, you know what? It's going to be easier for me if I show up to David and I make this pragmatic, practical, self-serving submission to David It's going to make my life easier. There are many of us who have submission to Christ, submission to to the authority of Christ in our life because our aging parents expect it. They want it. You know, my mom is getting old. She's, She's no longer able to to really care for herself. So, so I'm going to do this for her. I'm going to show up and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to go to church for her because maybe in her old age, this will, this will satisfy something within her. But there's no genuine, heartfelt submission. It's token submission. Or maybe, you know, I'm going to go to church I'm going to check that box because it's the right thing to do. It's token submission. It's nothing but whitewashed tombs. Jesus said this of token submission. Jesus said this of that which looks and appears to be right, but inwardly is broken. 
He says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, talking about the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. He says, you blind Pharisee. Verse 27, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear to be beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. We can go through the motions. We can show up just like Shammai. We can even bring a thousand Benjaminites with us. We can show up with our checkbook. We can show up with our energy and our resources. We can teach Sunday school. We can help with the fall festival. We can even work on the facility of the church. We can do all of the things. We can can show up and we can give token submission. Because you know what? Our gods, our kings have failed. So might as well give this whole Jesus thing a try. After all, it makes my life easier. It keeps my wife off my back. keeps my husband happy. After all, I, I do want my kids to be raised in the church. But I believe that the American church, the Western church, is plagued with Shemais. We give token submission to Jesus. But we're nothing but whitewashed tombs. Hypocrites. And then I want us to see Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the lame grandson of Saul, a sincere follower of David. His disheveled appearance expresses his mourning and loyalty to David. David sees his disheveled appearance. He sees his sincerity. He sees his loyalty. And he gives to him that which he can. Mephibosheth, I believe, represents those of us who are here, who are broken, who are lame. We don't have much to offer. We've been broken by life. We've been broken by the consequences of our own sin. We've been broken by by the, the difficulty and the weight of this fallen world. We don't have much to offer. But what we do offer, we give it with a sincerity of heart. What's interesting is those who are like Mephibosheth, are the most gracious, most kind, most understanding, most benevolent among us. They have every every opportunity and every reason to oppose and to turn from following David. We have every we have every reason to 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 look at our life and we've been we've been beaten down by life. We've we've experienced loss, we've experienced hurt, we've experienced pain. The world has kicked us in our teeth. We have we have experienced failure after failure after failure. Maybe because of our own doing, maybe because of the broken world that we live in, maybe because of of external circumstances. But there's no reason why we should be faithful to God. And yet because of the grace which we have been shown. Mephibosheth says to David, you brought me into your table. I deserved to be dead 
And you brought me into your own home. And you brought me in and you sat me down at the king's table. And I dined like a king. David, you have my undying loyalty forever. Mephibosheth is lame and he's limited. He doesn't have much to offer, but he offers all that he has. I'm grateful that there are Mephibosheths that are in this church. There are Mephibosheths in every church across this world that don't have much to offer. They've broken. They have been kicked in the teeth by life. They have experienced hardships and trial and difficulty. And they have every reason to run from Christ. But because of the grace that they have received and the grace that they have experienced, they pledge their undying love and loyalty to Jesus. And then we see Barzillai. We don't know much about Barzillai. He's mentioned once in chapter 18 and then here in chapter 19. But we're told that he was faithful to the covenant king. And I want to point out to you that faithfulness results in two outcomes all the time. The first thing faithfulness results in is contentment. And you see that in Barzillai's response. When David says, Barzillai, come, come with me, come to Jerusalem, come back to Israel. I will set you up. I will give you money. I will give you land. I will give you property. I will, I will give you everything that you've ever wanted. And what does Barzillai say? He says, David, I've already got everything I want. Faithfulness breeds contentment. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul is in prison when he writes this epistle. And as Paul writes from the prison cell, he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along in humble means, I know how to live in prosperity. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. Faithfulness breeds contentment. Barzillai was faithful. He provided he was faithful to a fault. And God rewarded him with contentment. The second thing that, faithful, that's, that faithfulness brings, the second fruit of faithfulness, is a legacy of faith. Barzillai says, David, I'm content. Let me go home. Let me die. Let me go to be buried in my own home. But take with you my son. Bless him because of my faithfulness. Do you see that? Dad, mom, grandma, grandpa. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to the king brings about a legacy, a generation of blessings. 
a legacy of faith. Barzillai's faithfulness brings blessing upon his generation that follows and the generation that would follow and the generation that would follow and the generation that would follow. Train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to his word. If we as a church, if we as parents will be faithful to do what's right, God will not only bless us, but he will bless our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. So here's the reality, church. The king will return. The king of kings and the Lord of lords will return. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 reads like this. And your house, talking to David, and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever if you look at the book of psalms verse 45 verse 6 psalm verse 45 verse 6 it says the throne of god is forever and ever a scepter of unrightness of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom in the book of revelation chapter 4 verses 9 through 11 we read this And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits upon the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And they will cast their crowns before him. They were cast before his throne saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things because of thy because of you, thy will live, they will exist, and they were created. There is a reality that the king is coming. And when the king returns, he will establish his throne forever because that's who he is. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. My question for us, whom will we be? Will we be Mephibosheth? who because we have received grace, we pledge our love and loyalty to Him forever. Will we be Barzillai? Faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. And because we are faithful, we will receive contentment and we will receive blessings for the generations that come. Or, will we be Shammai? And say, oh, I trust you now, Jesus. I believe in you now. Oh, I've spent my entire life hooking my, hooking my wagon to, to fame and fortune and ambition. I've lusted after and, and followed the king of this world and pleasure and, and ambition and money and greed. I have, I have been faithful to that king. But now that that king has failed, oh, I trust you now, Jesus. You know, it's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus references that kind of faith in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. 
Just because you have token submission. Just because when there's no other king to bow down to, you say, I trust you now, Jesus. I follow you now. It's possible. Jesus may say, depart from me, ye cursed, for I never knew you. If I'm honest with myself, there is a propensity within all of us to be like Shammai. And we'll follow Jesus when there's no one else to follow. But my heart longs to be like Mephibosheth or Barzillai. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The reality is, is that the king is returning. When he returns, will he find us faithful? Or will he find us like Shammai? Let's pray. God, as your word has pierced our heart this morning, there are those who, if honest with themselves, are Shammai. They've given you token submission, token obedience. They're here following you, serving you, simply because it's easier than not. Because following you is self-serving. Following you is pragmatic. If that's you this morning, Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to a faithful service. He's calling you to confess. He's calling you to repent of your complacency and your half-hearted faith. And He's asking you to trust Him. Trust Him wholeheartedly. Surrender your life, not because it benefits you, but surrender your life because He died for you. That's you. During this time of invitation, I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning, you know that you have nothing to offer. You are Mephibosheth. You're lame and you're limited. But God has called you to be loyal. He doesn't care about your ability. He simply cares about your availability. You say, I don't know what I can offer to God. All he asks is that you offer him yourself. Maybe you desire this morning to be like Barzillai, who is faithful to the end. You desire that commitment, that contentment. You desire that blessing from generation to generation to generation. That faithfulness begins today. You resolve to be faithful one day at a time, one moment at a time. As we go into this time of invitation, 
If you need to do business with God, I want you to invite you to come to this altar. Maybe grab someone with you. Maybe kneel right where you're at. But don't leave this place without doing business with the Holy Spirit this morning. God, may your Holy Spirit move in this place this morning. It's in Christ's name.